All right, everybody, welcome to the JBooCast this week. I'm a little bit behind. It was another busy week for me, so some of the questions that you guys asked in, in this thread uh, may have been answered by what ended up with our cutdown. Uh, so before I get into the questions, I want to talk a little bit um, about events around the NFL this week. Uh, we last week talked a little bit about the CBA, the commissioner's power, um, and uh, the use of medical marijuana and the opioid epidemic. And this week, I want to talk a little bit about Vontez Burfecht and his suspension and how that ties into what I was talking about last week. So for those of you who know, uh, Vontez Burfecht, serial bad boy, bad boy poster child for, for uh, dirty play. He's kind of our generation's uh, Bill Romanowski. When you think about it, Bill Romanowski was a guy who deliberately went after his own teammates in practice. He fractured the orbital bones of uh, one of his own players and ended his career due to a practice scuffle. Uh, he would do things like grab players' thumbs at the bottom of a pile and deliberately snap them. Uh, Vontaze Burfitt got a five-game suspension for a preseason hit, and if you ask uh, multiple people, you're going to get multiple answers about whether the hit was legal or not. Uh, I, for one, watching it, believe that it was an illegal hit. Now, the commissioner responded to it with a five-game suspension, which is a lot, and people are wondering, hey, yeah, that, that does seem a little bit excessive. Hot take. I think by this point, Vontaze Burfecht should be banned for life. The NFL is kind of dealing with this conundrum about how to deal with CTE, how to address it, and Burfecht is becoming this example of this guy who is out to deliberately brutalize his opposition. Um, there are cases in the past in videos, and you can look this up yourself, of him sacking Cam Newton, and then as Cam Newton's trying to get up, him twisting Cam Newton, Newton's ankle, wrenching it to the side, trying to actually hurt the guy. Um, there was a hit on Antonio Brown in the playoffs where he led with his head and, and concussed Brown, took him out, you know, the Steelers' top weapon. Uh, and now you have this occurring in a preseason game. And there has to be a certain point where one-game suspensions are enough, two-game suspensions are enough. All the fines, everything that's coming his way, it's, he's, he's not getting the message at all. And the NFL is all but condoning, not really condoning, more turning a blind eye to the fact that this guy is not playing football in the spirit of football. He's out to hurt people. He's out to give head injuries. And karma hasn't really hit him yet. And, and there's a certain point where you have to wonder, is this guy, with every suspension he has, with every single fine he's getting, is he really getting the message? And the answer is no. And I think you really have to consider with him down the road, if, if, if this behavior is going to continue, you have to consider a lifetime ban for him. So it, it, it's, is five games too much? No, at this point with his history, I think, he's not, I think it's not enough. I think he's uh, probably the most shameful player I've seen since Bill Romanowski. And uh, I hope the NFL can actually figure out a way to deal with him. All right, so this week was uh, pretty big. Uh, we all obviously had our, our cut-down day um, before, if you guys remember. Uh, the NFL worked in a way that you would get the roster from, I think it was from 90 to 72, and then down to the final 52-man uh, roster. They changed the rule this year, and now it only occurs on one single day. So we had, you know, more or less uh, almost 50% of our roster uh, lose their job uh, in, in a matter of days. 
going through uh, all the guys that we cut, there really weren't uh, a ton of surprises. I, I think we all saw the writing on the wall for George Johnson, given his health, uh, lack of productivity, uh, and, and the fact that he was a decently paid player. I think $2.25 million was his salary. Um, Jeremy McNichols, uh, we'll get to him a little bit more. I think that's a big surprise because he was a, a fifth-round pick, and he was just not picking up the professional game. So he was cut, picked up by the 49ers since. Um, and then other than that, no, I don't think there were a lot of real surprises. Um, I guess the biggest surprise to me this week was that we took J.J. Wilcox, who we just signed in this offseason, uh, flipped him over to, I think it was the Steelers, for a sixth-round pick, uh, sent him on his way, and, and that occurred after we, we took T.J. Ward off waivers. Uh, so I'm glad, I'm glad we got Ward. Um, you know, how, how much uh, skin he's going to have in the game as somebody who's on a one-year contract at, at $5 million. Is he, is he going to give it his all? Is he really invested in us? I, I hope he is. Uh, it, it was a bit of a gamble, but nevertheless, I would say that Ward uh, is certainly an upgrade over any spots that we had on that roster. Uh, so that was, I think, the biggest surprise to me. Uh, after cutdowns. All right, so let's go through some of the questions here. Um, I am going to look right here and see if there's any questions that I dumped Adele. Are you more worried about our secondary or line depth? Um, man, that's a tough question. I, I would say right now, uh, I, I would say probably our, our line depth. Um, this offseason did not really answer any of the, the major concerns that I had about about Donovan Smith, about Kevin Pamphile. Donovan Smith had a couple games where he showed up. He, he shut down Michael Johnson pretty well, and but, but Michael Johnson is your middling pass rusher in the NFL. Donovan Smith goes up against a guy like Miles Garrett, number one overall pick, unproven rookie, uh, but you know a, a pass rusher that has elite potential, and we saw Donovan Smith get decimated by him. Um, I think a lot of Bucks fans who are really hopeful about Donovan Smith are going to open their eyes week one when he's matching up against somebody like Cameron Wake, who even in his 30s and coming off a torn Achilles injury is still an extremely productive pass rusher. Uh, so I think uh, I think it's going to take you know the first couple of weeks, and Chicago as well has some pretty decent pass rushers too. Um, Leonard Floyd... Uh, Pernell McPhee, you're going to see Donovan Smith match up against them, and you're also going to see that it's not going to be a, a pretty performance unless I hope I'm wrong. So I'm still kind of concerned about our line depth. Our, our secondary and the addition of T.J. Ward uh, makes me a little bit a little bit less concerned. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, it, it, we still do not have a franchise left tackle that is pr protecting our star investment in Jameis Winston. I would say offensive line depth at this point uh, is a bigger concern for me than the secondary, but not by much. Um, coming up next, the hood, the bad, the ugly. Uh, what is your opinion of Justin, light of the seven Evans, thus far? Um, my opinion is exactly what it was when, when he came out, which is that he is an extremely raw prospect who's going to need a lot of coaching to be able to play uh, at, at the next level. Uh, I was never expecting him to come in 
uh, and be an instant, instant star, instant performing rookie. And, um, you know, in the limited number of snaps that he got this preseason from, from what I saw, it was, there was nothing that really stood out to me as great. Nothing that stood out to me as, uh, horribly bad aside from a few missed assignments, but you know, preseason stakes are low, whatever. I think if we slowly ease him on, give him a couple snaps every game, don't throw him to the fire immediately. Let him learn from a guy like like T.J. Ward. Uh, I, I I think that my my opinion is neutral, right? That it's the same. It's that he's going to take some work. It's it's not going to be uh, not going to be an overnight thing for him to enter the league and be good from the get go. Uh, so my my opinion is is neutral on him. Who's a player on this team that no one is really talking about that will bring us good fortune in the wars to come? Let me ask you guys something. How many uh, how much footage in Hard Knocks have you seen of Cameron Brait this year? Haven't seen any. Um, for those of you who have already done a couple fantasy drafts, um, almost always my last round pick was used on Cameron Brait. I think a lot of people are sleeping on him. But the thing is, I'd say only behind Mike Evans in this offense does Jameis have a better rapport with a target than Cameron Brait. And Cameron Brait did not really have a lot of complimentary receivers in the middle of the field last year. Now at this point, we have an absurd amount of tight end depth. Um, a lot of favorable mismatches. We brought on O.J. Howard. Anthony O'Claire made the roster. Uh, Luke Stocker is somehow still there, too. I like Stocker, but you know he's not really going to take a lot of heat off Brait. But everybody's sleeping on Brait. Uh, so... I think that he's the, the the guy that no one is talking about. Hard Knocks isn't paying attention to him. Um, no one's drafting him in fantasy leagues. I think he's going to be a, a very productive uh, receiver for us. I think people are, are underestimating him big time. Uh, the other uh, side of the ball, um, again, not a lot of hype from Noah Spence, but uh, from what we saw of him in the preseason, he looked like a guy who's ready to make the big step forward too. Uh, I think you're going to be very happy with what you see out of Noah Spence. I, I've said this in the in the past, but uh, he's a guy who I think will end up being our first 10-sack pass rusher since Simeon Rice. All right. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. Jay Outlaws asking my favorite question of the week. Light gets a lot of heat, and deservedly so, for the Aguayo pick. That one was a bad move. My bigger concern, he says, and I feel is his weakness, is the ability to hit on rounds five through seven in the draft. We have drafted a running back that didn't make the roster. Uh, and Kevin Pamphile is the only one that comes to mind uh, who, who could succeed. This, to me, is also the reason that the depth will continue to be an issue. I like most of what Jason has done, he says, but am I wrong in this thought? Um, no, no, you're not wrong in this thought at all. Uh, Jason Light, um, in, he just had his fourth draft, right? And let's see here, I'm going to name you every single player since 2014 who was taken in rounds five through seven, okay? 2014, Kadeem Edwards, Kevin Panfile, Robert Herron. Uh, Panfile is the only player out of those three, uh, Actually, and, and as you'll see when we go through more picks, Pantfile is the only player who ended up making a, a, a final roster for the Bucks. Not only is he the 
only player who made a final roster. He's the only one who actually has taken a single NFL snap. So let's go through that. 2015, Kenny Bell, Kalen Clay, Joe Yosefa. Uh, Yosefa, Clay didn't make the final roster. Kenny Bell went on IRR, IR as a rookie, uh, ended up not making the roster. Year two, he floated around the league to the Ravens and then just got cut. 2016, uh, Caleb Beninock, Devontae Bond, Dan Vitale. Actually, you know what? I said something factually inaccurate before. Uh, Caleb Beninock did make a final roster. Devontae Bond, injured right now. Dan Vitale didn't make a final roster. 2017, Jeremy McNichols and Stevie Uh McNichols, as you guys know, if you read my, my draft review, I was praiseworthy of every single pick rounds one through seven. Um, the one exception being Jeremy McNichols. Um, what we saw on his tape, I, I don't know. This is a guy who took too many cuts before he before he went upfield. We saw the issues with, with the blocking assignments that he had in the NFL. And this guy who was supposedly supposed to be this uh, all-star receiver, I think had one catch the entire preseason. So that was a disaster of a pick. I don't know what, what the front office saw with him. So where Light has made up for the blind spots, and again, the only two that have made that final roster, five to seven, uh, were, were um, Caleb Beninock and um, uh, Kevin Pamphile. Um, where Light has made up for this is that he has had a lot of good undrafted free agent finds. Um, you know, you, of course, had Cameron Brait, who I mentioned before. Uh, you had Adam Humphreys as well. Uh, so he's finding some of these gems uh, who are undrafted free agents. But the, the, the lack of scouting ability that he's shown in rounds five through seven, I mean, we're not even talking about guys who aren't, who, who aren't making the team as, as reservists or special teamers. These are guys who are just not playing snaps, period. They're, they're not making the roster. And I'm thinking by now, you know, you would at least have one of these late round guys who would break out, one of these steals that we would find, but we haven't really had it yet. I think it's it's probably his biggest weak spot um, at this point. And um, for for me personally, Jason Light, um, Jason Light is, is the kind of guy who has made a ton of mistakes. He learns from the mistakes, but the mistakes are often so large with him that you wonder, is he the guy, the GM that is going to ultimately take us back to the Super Bowl in the promised land? And given some of the moves recently, the Aguayo pick, especially, uh, I, I don't have a lot of faith in the guy long-term. I think he's better than Mark Dominic ever was. I think he's better than, than John, John, uh, John Gruden and, and Bruce Allen when they were in charge of the ship, uh, as well. Uh, he, he is making some good moves. I will give him that. But uh, the, the deficiencies with late round drafting and then some of the big cam- gamble picks like Roberto Aguayo and um, somebody like signing Michael Johnson, Anthony Collins to these big deals, Austin Safari and Jenkins. None of these guys are on our roster. These are some of the big moves that were made pretty early on with him. So I want to see moving forward a more conservative Jason Light. I want to see more focus on talent, not just in the early rounds, but in the later rounds. I think that's what we really need out of him if we want him to be a Super Bowl winning GM. All right, next question from Scud. 
Stafford, a just above average quarterback with no offseason success, just signed a mammoth contract that will account for almost 17% of the cap space from now forward. This essentially set the market of a franchise quarterback going forward, and the Lions had to pay him uh, lest they wish a, a stay in the quarterback purgatory. The Bucks will be in their shoes soon enough, and I hope Winston is truly worthy of this contract. He says, instead of the poison pill a la Flacco and company, unlike Brady, who took a discount, or Rodgers, who signed before this explosion of QB salary, the Bucks will be in a tough spot to fill the rest of the roster. And this preseason has shown the depths. Uh, we're sorely lacking in many areas. No pass rusher outside of McCoy, he says. No offensive line help. No corners. Uh, School has said that White has been Decent, but not spectacular with his mid-round picks. Notably, a few of his second-rounders panned out since his arrival, with the sole exception of Marpet. He says the jury is still out on Spence's school, uh, Spence and, and Smith. Um, so I guess he wants to know uh, what I think of the Stafford deal and, and how it impacts Winston. There are two deals right now that I'm looking at. One is the Stafford contract that just got paid out. The Stafford's agents had the upper hand there. I mean, it was really pay him, pay him like the highest paid quarterback, or he was going to walk and somebody else would, right? And that was kind of an escalation to what the, what the Raiders just paid uh, uh, David Carr. I'm sorry, Derek Carr. I always get the cars mixed up. It's what they paid Derek Carr out in Oakland. The other deal that I'm looking at right now is I've said this before, but I really hope that we get Mike Evans under contract before Odell Beckham Jr. Because I think whatever the Giants agreed to with Beckham's agents uh, it is going to take whatever the wide receiver market is right now and the price that Evans is, is kind of dictating, and it's going to blow it out of the water. I think the highest paid wide receivers right now are Antonio Brown, A.J. Green, Julio Jones, right? And and that kind of would put Evans in the $15 million a year market. There's something about Odell Beckham and the hype around him and him being the face of the, the, the Giants franchise uh, for all intents and purposes now that I could see him taking that wide receiver market and getting some kind of absurd like 20 to $22 million a year contract. If we all of a sudden, in a matter of two years, are forced to put pay Jameis in ballpark of what, what Stafford just made as the highest paid player in NFL history, and Odell Beckham and, and Mike Evans, if we have to pay, pay Mike Evans that kind of money too, uh, it's going to absolutely ramsack our salary cap situation. Uh, unless somehow we can front load the deals to pay more of it up front. I, I don't know. I'm going to be doing a post sometime this week on our cap situation, uh, considerations that we have. But we have a, uh, a very difficult situation at hand. I would like to see us. Uh, I would like to see us get a deal in for Evans before Eld Odo Beckham gets his deal in, uh, and then also in in terms of Jameis's deal, uh, I think it would be great to see maybe the Titans get their deal in for Mariota. Uh, before we get ours in for Jameis, that might also help kind of uh, dilute the, the quarterback market a little bit as well. So I, I remember reading something this week that uh, teams that have paid their quarterbacks more than 16% uh, of the cap have not won any any Super Bowls. So 
Uh, you know, it's kind of the, the quandary that we face. We, we have to pay the guys or they're going to walk. We have to pay them what the market is dictating, but we don't want to absolutely murder our cap on two offensive players. Oh, okay. Let's get to a few more here. Von Pitt. Do you think Chris Baker could supplant Joey Chestnut in a hot dog eating contest? Also, have there been any recent updates on, on Jeffrey Smith? Uh, I think Chris Baker could probably supplant Joey Chestnut in a hot dog eating contest. Uh, I'd like to see him get on the field and, and, and beat, uh, beat some guys in the, in the defensive line contest. Uh, there was not a lot of noise from Baker this offseason other than uh, what came out of his mouth. So I'd like to see him uh, get on the field first before we start talking about hot dogs. But, yeah, he might be able to beat him. Who knows? Screaming Eagle. What are your expectations for the O-line this year? Mine are always low, but they have looked pretty good so far this preseason. My expectation for the O-line is that they keep Jameis upright and they don't kill him. Um, I think he's got to get the ball out a little bit faster. Uh, but our offense uh, the, the, in our playbook does kind of bode well to having more plays that develop with five-step drops and, and deeper throws rather than quick releases. So I think we just got to keep him upright, right? And, and I've mentioned this before, but, but our, our first week with, with Miami is going to be a real test. We, we have Cameron Wake. And Dominican Sue, a very strong front seven out of out of Miami that we're gonna be that we're gonna be dealing with. So we gotta keep our guy upright and just play adequately. Adequate is good enough. We did not play adequately really since Logan Mankins retired. He was such an anchor in the middle of the line, even in, in his uh, older age. Um, so I just wanna see our guys play adequately. That's all we can really ask for. All right. Uh, that's enough for this week. Uh, I will probably do another uh, another question thread midway through this week. Sorry for the late posting, and I hope you all have a great Labor Day.